This is another exciting episode of Spurbs Herbs, episode 9, and today we are going to be talking about a really interesting Chinese herb called Aya Artemisia argii folium, also known as mugwort. So if you've heard the word mugwort, this is that. And so here we go. Let's get into it. So before we get into it, just want to let you know that we are uh, trying to monetize a little bit. So if you are an acupuncturist, this podcast, as well as others, are approved for California Acupuncture Board CEUs and NCCAOM, that's the National Certification Commission of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine, PDAs, also known, so we have CEUs, Continuing Education Units, PDAs, which are professional development activities at a very reasonable cost. I also have a new book coming out called Dragons in the Medicine Cabinet, Chinese Herbal Medicines. Everyone should have at home. If you are interested in, in getting some more information about this, please send me an email at drgreg at spurbsherbs.com. That's drgreg with uh, two Gs, one on either end. So that's D-R-G-R-E-G at spurbsherbs, S-P-E-R-B-S-H-E-R-B-S.com. Spurbsherbs.com is also a wonderful place for you to find out what's going on with this podcast. So let's get inside here. Aya is a very interesting herb in Chinese medicine. It's probably one of the most interesting herbs that we have. Uh, so before we get into it too much, I just want to talk about the Chinese a little bit. Aya, both of those are fourth tone, so they have a downward, so Aya, uh, sort of sound to it. So we get into that. So Aya, Aya, mugwort, mugwort leaf, Artemisia argii folium. That's all of it, and is the one and only only herb necessary for traditional acupuncture so usually there's a big separation between acupuncture and herbs not in this situation in this situation they are you can't have acupuncture without this one this one particular herb that's right an herb necessary for acupuncture so in the spiritual axis which is from the Huangdi Neijing it is said when acupuncture is useless moxibustion is appropriate Oh, now we're throwing in a different word, moxibustion. So let's talk about it. But before we explain why this is the case, let's first talk a little bit about the Chinese language. And in this case, the Chinese language we're going to be talking about is the word, the, the Chinese word for acupuncture. And this is actually an interesting herb. It's jianzhou. So that's Z-H-E-N-E -E with a first tone. Jiu, um, J-I-U, which is U with a third tone. Uh, if you're not familiar about these tones, that's a whole nother language lesson, which we're not going to get into right now. But for those of you who know a little bit about Chinese language, just want to throw in those tones. Uh, so Zhenzhou, sometimes written as two words and other times as one word, depends on the source. And it's a compound word. In Chinese language, we have compound words. So we this is what we translate as acupuncture, but this is a very poor translation of the Chinese word. So technically, Zhenzhou means needle fire. So that's an interesting. Zhen is needle and Zhou is fire. So needle fire is what it means. So the needle portion refers to acupuncture. That makes perfect sense. You can't have acupuncture without needles. But the fire portion refers to moxibustion. 
So that's an interesting thing. So together, it means that there are two sides of the same treatment, the yin and yang of the treatment. We have acupuncture and we have moxibustion. So that is an interesting aspect. So we haven't really talked a little bit about moxibustion. Moxibustion is used in Chinese medicine. And what it is, is we burn an herb. Let's go find out here it is. We'll find out in a second. We burn an herb over certain acupuncture points or on needles that are in certain acupuncture points or over certain areas of the body with lots of acupuncture points. But the idea is that the heat from this burning herb is beneficial, the heat, the smoke, uh, everything about that. And that herb, moxa, so we call it moxibustion, which is the combustion of moxa. So moxa is the herb, and it is, it is the herb, aya, that is today's herb. So you can't, sometimes combine with other herbs. Sometimes if you have moxa, uh, like in a stick, it's combined with other herbs. We'll, we'll get into some of those other herbs a little bit, but cinnamon might be one of those, something else in there. But generally the big herb, the most important herb is moxa. You do not have moxa without aya. It's usually aged for a while with the best being of high quality herb and aged for an extended length of time. It can come in many, many forms in a cigar-like stick. This is very commonly used in Chinese medicine can be pressed into cones, and these cones are burnt um, directly or indirectly on, on points. As loose punk, so this is almost like a, um, like a cottony sort of punk, and it's small pieces of it, but it kind of comes out as a cotton, and we call it punk, that's what it's called, loose punk, or formed into small hollow tubes designed to go over a needle, and with a little adhesive to stick to the skin. This is sort of a um, I think I see it most in Korean style, but there are other styles. Um, some are formed into uh, uh, small little tubes, not hollow, and that can be pressed on them that have some, some stick and can be pressed directly. But these small hollow tubes are actually kind of cool because they can go over a needle. So you can put in a needle and then you put one of these hollow tubes over it with this moxa. It's, and in this case, it's more of a, a hardened moxa rather than a loose moxa. And you can actually burn the moxa and acupuncture needle at the same time. Also, you know, with the loose punk, we can put it on the end of a needle, um, put it in a little bunch and, and pack it in the end of the needle. So there's lots of ways to use moxa and acupuncture at the same time as well. So we didn't quite get into the Zhen Zhou, going back just a second, Zhen Zhou. So we know the Zhen is needle and the Zhou is fire, but really probably a better translation of that word rather than acupuncture would be acumoxa, um, which is a translation some people use and is a more accurate translation of the Chinese word. So the, the actuality of it is that acumoxa is one treatment modality in and of itself. And so that's really important. And that's opposed to other treatment modalities like herbs, Chinese herbs, or cupping, or gua sha. Um, we're not gonna get into what gua sha is, but there's lots of other different treatment modalities. But the treatment modality is not acupuncture, it is acumoxa. And that's very important. And and often acupuncture is considered the yin side of that and moxa is considered the yang side. So if someone needs more of a yin treatment, you do more needles, you need more of a, a yang treatment, you would do use the moxa side of it, or you can use both uh, in the situation. One of the, the differences between acupuncture and moxa is acupuncture tends to be a little bit deeper because it pierces the skin. So if you need to do a, yin, a yang sort of treatment, but a little bit deeper than on the skin, Mox alone may or may not do that depending on where in the body you're doing it on. So you can do a needle and then use moxa in the vicinity or on top of that needle in order to get this, this form of a treatment of sort of a more yang form of acupuncture. 
I, this is a complicated thing. There's lots of ways to modify uh, the treatments, like for example, in needling, um, silver needles or stainless steel needles are considered more yin in nature, and you can use gold needles, which are not used that often these days. Uh, they, there are gold-plated needles that you can get, so you kind of um, capture some of this, but uh, we don't use gold needles in uh, most uh, modern acupuncture anymore. First of all, they're expensive. Second of all, they're soft. Gold is a, a soft metal, so they don't last very long. And third of all, we legally, at least in California and a lot of other areas, you cannot use non-disposable needles. So buying full-on gold needles and have to just throw them out, you're not allowed to, to, uh, to sterilize them anymore, would be very, very expensive. So we don't usually use gold metal, uh, gold uh, needles anymore, but we can use gold plated for more yang needling so what we really do is sort of the stainless steel needles are kind of standardized these days and then we will use moxa to make it more young in treatment. So since moxa gives off smoke of various quantity, there is a smokeless moxa. It, it, the moxa, when you burn it, can, can do quite a bit of smoke. Um, if you've never smelled it before, uh, Aya, Folium argii, Argi folium is a cousin of marijuana. It smells a lot like marijuana. Uh, whenever I do moxa, I'd always get uh, in the house. My, my siblings would mock me for, for toking up. Um, so that is one aspect of it. Of course, it's smoke, which if you have asthma or any or an allergy or anything along those lines is not a good thing. So it can give off quite a bit of smoke. So there is a smokeless moxa which does not generally include a lot of this herb, if any of it. It's primarily a stick of charcoal with maybe a small amount of herb mixed in and pressed into a tube. Uh, while this may apply heat in a similar fashion to a moxa, moxa stick, many do not consider this to be an acceptable substitute to moxa. Poor quality sticks tend to be prone to breaking off and caution should be used when applying it. So uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of the smokeless kind of moxas. Uh, because of this, because uh, I have seen them break off, the tip will break off, and uh, you can potentially burn your patient, uh, things along those lines. If you're paying good attention, usually you move the stick before anything happens to your patient, but then you might, I've seen burns on tables and floors and things along those lines, so that's a whole other aspect of this. So I'm not a huge fan. I don't think it's a traditional approach, but uh, sometimes it's the only approach to get something moxa-like, so some people do like it and use it. There are fireless versions of moxa, which combine various herbs to be applied topically. These tend to be combined with herbs that have sort of a heating function. So they can actually feel the sensation can be of some heat. Uh, but again, it's not, there's no smoke. It's not true moxa. Though some, some of the manufacturers say that it's a very similar experience. Uh, in my experience, it's, it's not, again, not very traditional and probably not the greatest. And these fireless versions at some level probably uh, will have some aspect of our herb today, IEA, uh, involved with that. So there are many methods and traditions of applying moxibustion. I, I personally was first in, in, introduced to it by my Sherfu, uh, Mike Patterson, uh, who was my, my, who's the one who got me into Chinese medicine in the first place. I started going to him when I was 19 years old, which is way more years than I'd like to care to talk about in the past. And uh, it was interesting because he, he talked to me, I was having some issues and he took my pulse 
and he gave me a diagnosis and then he gave me a he gave me an herbal prescription but he also gave me a moxibustion prescription he taught me to apply it to stomach 36 which is probably one of the most tonifying points in the body just below the knee and outside and ren 6 or conception channel 6 which is in the center line um, it's a, a few fingers finger breaths below your belly button and that also is one of the more most uh, tonifying points these are very common points and he taught me to use what's known as a pecking method with a moxa stick so i'd light up one end of the moxa stick and i'd peck with it he he used to liken it like a bird pecking like a woodpecker slowly though um, over these points and that's a method that particularly is designed to drive heat deep into that point as opposed to other types of methods so that was my very first introduction to moxa it was my first introduction really into chinese medicine i was doing that long before i, I had any acupuncture done and so uh, uh that's where i started doing it so 19 years old and uh doing a lot of moxa it worked. It worked really, really well. I got to tell you, it, it, it opened my eyes to a whole new methodology, and that's how I got interested in Chinese medicine. So before we get into the many methods of moxibustion, let's actually discuss why we would use it in the first place. Why would we choose this as opposed to another modality? So technically, as we mentioned, needles and acupuncture are considered relatively yin in nature, and moxibustion is considered yang in nature. Therefore, when a yang treatment is called for, such as in a cold condition, moxibustion should be used over needles. That's the, that's the general, general approach. Or as is often done in a modern acupuncture clinic, combined either by applying a small bunch of mox on the end of a metal needle, or in the more Korean style of slipping a preformed tube of moxa over the needle and adhering it to the skin. I actually like that. I don't do Korean style acupuncture, but I do like uh, applying uh, moxibustion this way. It's clean, it's efficient, uh, and, it, and it's easy to deal with, especially if I want to combine needling and moxibustion. I'm not a huge fan of just uh, putting some pressed punk on the end of a needle. And the reason why I don't like that is I've seen it fall off way too many times. I uh, haven't really seen it burn somebody, but I have seen it fall off to the point where it could almost burn somebody. I, I, you know, I've certainly had situations where it's it's dropped on somebody, but it was right there and I was able to brush it off of the patient before any burning happened. So uh, not something I'm a huge fan of with the puck, though um, nowadays you can actually get preformed little cups, uh, metal cup, uh, like tinfoil cups that will uh, go, and that is a way I will use that is it'll apply some tinfoil. Um, so if it does drop off, it goes in the tinfoil, not on the patient. But moxibustion isn't just for cold conditions. So we do think of it as a heating treatment, but it's a yang treatment. So that means a lot more than just heat. So one time as I had low back pain, one of my mentors, Dr. Min Fan, told me to use moxibustion. Uh, and, and my response to that was, but I am so warm, does it make sense to apply moxa? And he said to me, moxibustion is not just warming. It is moving, soothing, comforting, regulating, and relaxing. It moves both chi and blood and helps relax muscles. It is perfect for what you're going through right now. And he was right. It was the only thing to help relieve my pain, at least for a little bit. So low back pain, and then I applied some moxa, and it was very nice. It was all those things. It was warming. It was moving, soothing, comforting, regulating, and relaxing. So that, in a nutshell, explains all the benefits of moxibustion. According to one of our major textbooks written by Xin Nang, 
Moxibustion warms the meridians and expels cold. These are the kind of traditional functions of moxibustion. Warms meridians and expels cold, induces the smooth flow of chi and blood, strengthens yang from collapse, and prevents diseases and keeps one healthy. Those points that I, I uh, mentioned earlier, stomach 36, run 6, some people say those are longevity points and they should be yoga and or moxed every day in order to, to maintain, to increase your longevity. That's one of several, by the way. Those are two of several points. So common conditions where moxibustion is used include asthma, arthritis. So asthma, I gotta say, I'm a little cautious about because it is smoke and I, I know it, one of the reasons why I don't use it, there's a couple of reasons why I don't use it more in my practice than I than because I'd like to. One of them is because I do have asthma and it does get triggered a bit, or at least my allergies get triggered um, with it. And if my allergies get triggered, eventually it could be asthma with the moxa smoke. The other reason why is in most uh, buildings, most business buildings, you cannot have open flame, which you need for moxibustion. So technically it's against my, my lease, so I'm not able to do it that way either. Uh, that's the, probably the biggest reason. So asthma, it can be helpful in asthma. Arthritis is really wonderful with, especially cold arthritis or cold B syndrome that we call that. Uh, so arthritis, there's different types of arthritis that we talk about in Chinese medicine. Intestinal conditions such as vomiting, diarrhea, or abdominal pain, and certain gynecological conditions can be very well treated with moxibustion. In fact, often I would prefer it to needling. So let's talk about some methods. Moxa can be applied directly or indirectly. Directly means applying it to the skin and can be scarring or non-scarring using moxicums, threads, or pellets. So you know, right here, you can cause scarring moxa, which means you keep putting it on to the point where it burns and, and keep doing it, eventually it'll form a scar. Now, as you can imagine, that is illegal in the United States. Um, I, I, well, I shouldn't be so broad as to say it's illegal in the United States. I know it's illegal in several states that I've looked at their laws. I would be shocked if any state said, yes, you can do scarring moxibustion. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that's in, in most countries that scarring is not allowed. And in China it is, or at least it has been traditionally. But again, probably not one of the more common modern day uses of this. So let's go with non-scarring moxibustion. And that's directly to the skin. So you have moxicones, threads, you can, you have moxipunk, uh, especially in Japanese style, they'll, they'll um, form it into threads or pellets like rice, uh, they, they, like grains of rice, and um, light them directly on top of the skin. How you light that, by the way, is through incense. You, you light an incense stick and use that to light the moxibustion in these, in these approaches. Uh, and so that's called direct moxibustion. Uh, and of course there is the, the concern of, of uh, burning and then uh, continues and like I said here, cause scarring, which we don't want in, in uh, China, in the United States or other, most other countries. There's also indirect moxibustion, and this is where you burn moxa, usually moxa cones or something along those lines, on top of something else such as salt or a slice of ginger, garlic, or fudza, which is aconite. Uh, this monk's hood is the common name for that. So for example, with salt, what we'll do is we'll actually get some, some salt and we'll put it, that's often done over the belly button. So you put some salt, fill in the belly button, put a piece of moxibustion on top of that and burn it. And uh, in that case, you usually do a few few times uh, and there's different techniques in different ways so ginger garlic uh, aconite aconite is very hot as an herb it's a thick it's a I mean a, a, a solid herb so it, it does protect from from burning 
And uh, yeah, it's considered very hot to do a back fold. So warming needle technique is applying a cone or small packed wad of moxa to the end of a needle. Moxa stick methods include mild warm, sparrow pecking as I uh, mentioned earlier, or warm needle. Um, so you can, again, do it on a needle. It can also be applied to a large area by using a moxa box. We had when I was in school, a couple uh, teachers who built their own moxa boxes. So it's one of my prized acupuncture. Uh, they've long since retired and I have this, this wonderful box that I purchased from them. So that's very nice. So what are some contraindications of moxibustions? Again, according to Shinong, the following are contraindications to using moxibustion. One is excess syndrome and heat syndrome. So if you're too hot, too excess, you shouldn't do this. If for lay people, that sensation of heat or a lot of redness would not be a good thing to combine moxibustion with. Scarring moxibustion should not be applied to the face and head or in the area of large blood vessels. <clears throat> moxibustion should not be applied to the abdominal or lumbrosacral regions of pregnant women. And that makes sense as well uh, because of the uh, lots of potentials. But what we're really, it's interesting what we're, one of the things we're worried about with pregnant women in those areas of course, those are kind of local areas to the pregnancy, but it's very moving. It can actually induce a labor, so we don't want to do it in those areas. O'Connor and Bensky, another <coughs> huge textbook, adds febrile diseases uh, should not be treated with moxibustion or, and it should not be in the vicinity of sensory organs or mucous membranes. So again, face is a difficult area to do. It's not impossible. It is done, but uh, you have to be very cautious in that area. <coughs> if burn aftercare of moxibustion and burns do result, use Qingguan Hong, also known as burn cream. Uh, it's, it comes in tubes and tubs. Uh, that is fantastic for any kinds of burns. I think everyone should have that. It's part of what's going to be in that new book that I'm talking about. So a uh, great, great uh, thing called burn cream just colloquially. If blisters form, they should generally be allowed to heal on their own without puncturing them. Keep them clean and apply proper dressing if necessary. Again, if we're doing our job properly, blisters should not form. That is a, a not a common and, a, and it's not a goal of doing moxibustion. So this is if something goes wrong and blisters. And generally we avoid burns for moxa, though accidents do happen. It is hot and, a, and accidents can happen. So you need someone to really pay attention when they're doing moxibustion as opposed to needles where you can put them in and leave the room where the patient relaxes for a while. You do not start a moxa cone and then leave the room. That would be very stupid. All right, so that is a little primer on moxibustion. Let's actually get into the herb of the day, Aya. So uh, Aya is this, and it comes from the family of Aster Asteraceae, or Aster Daisy family. That's the, the sort of common names for these. Its medicinal part is leaves. Other names include mugwort leaf, artemisia, gai, which is Japanese, argi wormwood leaf, moxa, Chinese mugwort, and silvery wormwood. So um, it's kind of in the woodward family a little bit there as well. The usual dose for this when taken internally. So now we're talking about more of the internal uses of this herb is three to nine grams. The one book says 10 grams. So pretty similar is a typical dosage for it. It is in the category 
according to Vesky, one of our big textbooks says it's an, it's an herb that regulates the blood, while Chen and Chen, another textbook, states it is a stop-bleeding herb, while Brandon Wiseman, another textbook, classifies it as a channel-warming, blood-stanching medicinal. So blood-stanching means stopping. So it staunches, it stops bleeding, and warms the channel, basically. So what we get here is a lot of, this is an interesting herb, because usually these books have as their source a, uh, a very kind of traditional and common uh, Chinese textbook, and they've translated it from those things. So generally they agree on these categories. The fact that this herb has so many different approaches to it indicates some of, you know, some of the, the controversy around this herb. It also is sort of the different uses of this herb, so it's interesting. So again, it's a, an herb that regulates the blood. So regulate means moves the blood. Um, it's a stop bleeding herb, so you would think that's the opposite, though we do have lots of herbs that regulate and stop bleeding. And then we, it's a channel warming, blood stopping, staunching, stopping, medicinal. So interesting, all in the same similar boat, but not exactly the same categories. The genus is a large genus here, the Artemisia genus, of over 500 plants. That's a lot of different Artemisias. And many of these have bioactive properties. This is, so for example, Artemisia annua, which is not this one, this is REI. Um, Artemisia annua was the source of the anti-malarial drug artemenicin. So that's a variant and very commonly used, huge. Uh, in fact, the, the people who discovered this got a Nobel Prize in medicine for that. So that's a huge one. Artemisia absinthium is the wormwood used in the beverage absinthe, as well as used as an antispasmodic Febrifuge, so it helps fever. Stomachic, stomachic, stomachic. These are all the, the old English terms for herbologies. Cardiac stimulant, anthelmintic, which means it helps worms, uh, you know, a pathological worm, and to treat declining mental mental function and inflammation of the liver. So that's an interesting uh, Artemisia uh, species as well. Many other species have been shown to have various medical benefits in addition. So these are just two of the big ones. Uh, so you can see that this is this genus of Artemisia is a big one and useful in medicine. Aya itself is bitter, acrid, and warm. So um, acrid uh, sometimes will, more often than not, we'll see it as acrid, but it's also sometimes translated as spicy. So bitter, spicy, and warm. and enters the liver, spleen, and kidney. So we say every herb in Chinese medicine has properties and, and um, some of those properties are its taste, so that's bitter and acrid. Some are uh, temperature, so this is warm. And then we have where does it enter, which channels does it enter, and this is liver, spleen, and kidney channels. It's first described in the Mingyi Zhaju, which is the miscellaneous records of famous physicians around 500 CE. So it's an older herb, but it's not the oldest herb that's on record good quality and also by the way that puts it outside of sort of the the earliest main herbal book as well which was written a few hundred years before this that's the Shandong Bensaojin which we're going to talk about uh, at some point in the supposed herbs good quality consists of thick soft leaves with a dark green superior surface white pubescent inferior surface and a very aromatic fragrance, so it smells strong. It's a strong smell, strong smelling herb in general. So it's Chinese medical actions. There's a bunch of them, 
and they're they're interesting. So uh, one of them is warms the womb, channels or menses. So um, one book says warms the wound, another one says warms the womb channels, which is an interesting uh, mention of this. And some says warm, another one says warms the menses. So these are all different, same action but different translations of the words and stops bleeding. So warms the womb and stops bleeding. So that's if there's uncontrolled bleeding from the womb. Disperses cold and relieves pain. And in this context, it regulates menstruation as well. It eliminates dampness and stops itching. It quiets the fetus. That's an interesting one. There are many herbs that do that. This is one of them, according to Brandon Wiseman. It dispels phlegm, stops cough, and relieves wheezing. So good for the lungs. This is according to Chen Chen. Can be decocted for use as a topical to treat itching from eczema. This is again according, according to Brand Wiseman. Fact. So that's an interesting topical use of this. So decocted means to be boiled in water and then used as a topical to treat itching from eczema. So some, some interesting commentary on this herb in Bensky states, it's aromatic acrid flavor disperses, the, it's aromatic acrid flavor disperse, its warmth opens the flow of chi and blood in the three yin channels and its bitterness dries dampness. Plus it is an excellent gynecological herb to dispel cold dampness and to stop cold pain. So there you go, this is one of its main uses uh, internally is for menstrual complaints, specific gynecological menstrual complaints. Its primary applications are patterns of lower burner yang cold from deficiency, such as abdominal cold pain, cold disrupting the menstrual cycle, and infertility due to cold in the womb. So again, we're getting that like, quite common, this is for cold, this treats cold sort of things. So this first one, patterns of lower burner yang cold from deficiency. So we haven't talked about the three burners uh, in, in Spurbs Herbs yet. And it's an interesting concept. It's actually one of the 12 uh, organs in Chinese medicine, the, the triple burners, San Jiao, um, or sometimes called the triple warmers. And it's a very interesting organ in Chinese medicine. Very, there's no real uh, concept of that in the Western side of things. So we'll at some point, uh, we'll get into the triple, the three burners. I can't say I'm looking forward to that because it's an interesting concept, but it'll be fun. And uh, so this is the lower burner. Lower burner is considered below the belly button. So lower burner, young, cold from deficiency. And again, that's where the womb resides. So that makes sense. Bensky continues to say the charred form is helpful to stop bleeding and menorrhagia. Menorrhagia means um, bleeding in between periods, irregular uterine bleeding, vaginal discharge, and early pregnancy treated, uh, threat, early pregnancy threatened miscarriage due to the acuity cold. So it could all be used, uh, good for that if it's charred, which means it's, it, it's burnt almost to a char sort of thing. Externally, it can be used as a wash to stop itching and expel dampness. That could be useful in that eczema that we talked about earlier. More recently, the essential oil has been used to calm wheezing and stop coughs. So that's interesting. That essential oil to breathe in might be helpful um, with asthma and other wheezing and coughing sort of scenarios. 
there are several preparations of vaya and they're used in various ways. So there's different ways to prepare this. If there's no preparation, it's called unprepared mugwort leaves or sheng aya or dried mugwort leaves, gan aya. So dried or unprepared mugwort leaves. When half dry leaves are pounded until soft and then dried in the sun and pounded again into a quote unquote cotton, it's called mugwort floss. I wrong or mature mugwort. And this is what's used as moxa. So half dry leaves pounded until soft and then dried in the sun and pounded again into a cotton. Fresh leaves, xian aya, can be used and is considered less warming and more harmonizing than dry variety varieties. This can be used to cool the blood and stop bleeding. Dry fried mugwort leaves, chow aya, is where unprepared leaves are dry fried until slightly scorched. This changes the air from warm to hot and enhances its ability to treat and disperse cold. Can be moistened with vinegar before frying, and this is used to direct the action to the liver to stop pain, especially for dysmenorrhea or infertility due to cold in the womb. So menses and uh, the womb are all kind of uh, attached to the liver. So if we're directing to the liver, we're going to be directing it to those areas as well. By attached, I don't mean physically. I mean sort of energetically would be the best way to say it, though I'm not sure I like the use of that word. I mentioned charred mugwort leaves, uh, aya tan or aya tan. Uh, and this is where the herb is dry fried at a high temperature until 70% blackened and then sprayed with vinegar to extinguish any embers. This allows the herbs to enter the blood, warm the channels, disperse cold and inhibit bleeding. It's very effective for heavy menstruation and continuous menstrual bleeding. So we, we do this a lot. We will change the properties of an herb by how we prepare that herb. This is called um, pao jir. And so uh, it's, it's a traditional approach to using herbs that you should prepare them in a way that maximizes what you want to get out of that herb. But in modern day, that's probably not done uh, by most practitioners uh, and for various reasons, but it still is an important consideration with uh, all herbs. This herb can be used in many combinations, way more than we're gonna be able to talk to here, but here are some samples. It can be combined with a jiao. Um, which is a Sunni Korei Cola or Acide Glue. This is an animal product. Uh, and when combined with it, it tonifies the blood and stops bleeding, as well as nourish and calm the fetus in pregnancy. And the herbs are co considered to be complementary, so they go well together. This combination is excellent in treating heavy, painful menses due to cold obstruction, bleeding during pregnancy or postpartum, prolonged menstruation, and cold abdominal pain disturbing the fetus. can be combined with Zingiberis rhizoma perforatum or Paojiang. This is prepared ginger. Um, both of these herbs warm the channels, stop bleeding, and warms cold from vacuity. But Paojiang does it in the middle burner while Aya acts in the lower. So if you have sort of a more uh, extensive uh, cold and uh, bleeding situation, then this combination could be very useful to try that. So compared with some other herbs, we have Cinnamomy cortex or Rogue. Both treat abdominal pain due to cold. So both Aya and Rogue treat due to cold. Aya is also used to treat abdominal pain due to cold from vacuity, 
is best for treating abdominal pain due to cold dampness. Rogue is best used for abdominal pain due to cold from vacuity when the extremities are cold as in conditions of yang vacuity or yin and yang vacuity. So slight differences there in these. And another major difference is IES stops bleeding while Rogue does not. Rogue is a big one, a cortex cinnamon. It's a cinnamon stick basically. Um, is uh, very useful, very warming as well. But again, you see the differences here and how we do how we would use this. And that's just one example of a comparison of different herbs uh, compared to IF. So what does the science say around IF? Chen Chen states IA has hemostatics, that means stops bleeding, antibiotics, so it helps uh, bacteria, uh, bacterial infections, anti-asthmatic asthmatic, excuse me, anti-asthmatic, so against asthma, antitussive, which means it stops coughing, and expectorant effects, which means it brings up phlegm, and is a cholagogic, uh, and uh, that means it stimulates the release of bile from the gallbladder, so it can aid in, in uh, digestion, so that's a cholagogic sometimes. It's, a, again, a, an older term for herbal medicinal actions. They also quote some small studies showing it can help. And, and when I put it in this context, small studies, that means that there's not a lot of science behind it, but there's a little bit. So I wouldn't put a whole bunch on this, but it's something interesting to keep in mind when using this herb. So it shows it can help profuse uterine bleeding during pregnancy along with other herbs. Well, that sounds very traditional in its use. So that's a possibility. Uh, chronic tracheitis as an inhaled essential oil. So that's an interesting one. Tracheitis is inflammation of the trachea, uh, you know, the windpipe. And so if you have chronic tracheitis, you can maybe inhale this as an essential oil. Can help allergies when in, uh, inhaled as an essential oil. Can help hepatitis and liver cirrhosis as an injection. Again, in the United States, we don't, we're not, most states do not allow injection. There are a handful of states that do. There's three or four or five that do allow injection of herbal preparations, but most do not. Uh, burns when topically applied as moxa. So it can help that. So that's an interesting idea that moxibustion topically applied can help burns, which you can cause if, burn, if uh, put on fire. So it's an interesting uh, thing that you can use here potentially. It can help bacterial dysentery as a decoction, malaria as a decoction, and skin ulcer as an herbal wash with other herbs. Again, some small evidence that it can do all these things. I would have a large grain of salt with some of these. Others seem to be kind of in line with traditional uses of this herb. So what does Aya contain? Well, one study showed 96 volatile compounds. And when we say volatile in the scientific uh, way, what we mean is there are uh, compounds that will evaporate into the air. So volatile compounds. That's a lot of volatile compounds that will, will do that. And when we, again, when we talk about volatile compounds, that's a lot of where we see the, we, we get the smells from. And so, especially when you start talking essential oils, uh, those become very important because those are what you smell in an essential oil. But in general, these can have therapeutic effects in, in lots of aspects. And, and when we're releasing them in smoke, these volatile compounds will, will go there as well and can have a beneficial aspect. There are also flavonoids, which again and again, as we go through these, these herbs, you're gonna see most of our herbs have flavonoids. 
that's a general classification of chemicals, though we do tend to see a lot of our medicinal, herbal uh, um, substances uh, can be derived from flavonoids. Uh, they also have triterpenes, esters. Uh, esters, if, if you remember, if you had organic chemistry, are also smells. They, that's where a lot of our, our nose can actually interpret those as smells. Uh, esters and sesquiterpenes. Many, I, which is, a, again, just these are just chemical classes of, of, uh, of uh, molecules. Many of which seem, so these sesquiterpenes uh, seem to have COX-2 selective inhibition, at least in vitro. So that's a very interesting statement. COX-2 inhibition is how our, our, a lot of our painkillers, our NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, such as aspirin or ibuprofen, not necessarily acetaminophen, those are not NSAIDs, um, though I do think they may have some COX-2 inhibition as well, but it's different than the, the rest of these. Naproxen would be one of these. So COX-2 is what actually reduces pain. So it makes sense that if we're saying this is helpful for pain, that would have some substances to help pain and these sesquiterpenes may be right there. Though we're not sure, the studies that uh, this is coming from uh, looked at them in vitro. Uh, in vitro literally from the Latin means in glass. And so that doesn't mean in vivo, in life. So we don't know if that's actually what happens in, the, in, in, a, in a person's body, but at least there's some uh, aspects, some, something pointing to that in, in test tubes. Basically that's what in vitro means. Eucalyptol was a component present in the highest concentration in moxa smoke and thought to contribute to increased sleep in mice. So that's an interesting one. Eucalyptol is an oil that is in fish. Drug herb interactions. There does not appear to be any specific and major drug herb interaction with Aya uh, in general. So uh, we don't see that. There is a expert opinion, general expert opinion, stating that stop bleeding herbs should be used with caution in patients with clotting disorders and are taking antiplatelet or anticoagulant medications. This was from Chen and Chen, uh, and I would imagine this comes from uh, John Chen, um, or it could be his sister, but John Chen is a pharmacist as well as a Chinese herbalist. And I see his point. If we're saying from a Chinese perspective, uh, stop, uh, these herbs will stop bleeding, then you want to be careful if you already have a condition that, that stops bleeding, like a clotting disorder, or if you're taking antiplatelet or anticoagulant medications. I think it's a, a valid caution. I wouldn't want to overstate it, though, uh, because there may or may not be a correlation with these herbs and how or whether these will actually affect clotting in any way, shape, or form. But the, theoretically, the danger exists there, and so we should at least be aware of it. Some concerns about these about this herb should be used with caution in cases of heat from yin vacuity. So interesting. We've said that this is good for vacuity uh, aspects, though. We really want to. It, it warms things up, so it's usually used to treat for cold. But remember, when we are when we have deficiency of yin or vacuity of yin, we don't have enough yin. The yin cools down the body, and because you don't have enough yin to cool down the body, you can create heat in that situation. This is often called false heat because it's not heat from hot, it's heat from not having enough cool to cool down what the normal heat would be. And so we should probably be a little bit
cautious of using this herb in any kinds of heat because it's warming. But in particular, we should be concerned about yin vacuity because uh, it, it, it can actually uh, make the yin vacuity a little bit worse in, the, in that context. So heat from yin vacuity is, should be used with caution. It's not a contraindication, but it is a caution. Uh, we pure yang, aromatic, and drying. It is contraindicated whenever the blood is dry and generating heat. So again, heat, we have an issue. Blood is dry. Um, yin and blood are on a continuum. Blood's on one side, yin's on the other side. So as you get more and more blood deficient, eventually it will become yin uh, uh, deficient or vacuous. And so when the blood is dry, again, we're not able to cool the body properly. And so there can be some heat that comes out of that. And we definitely want to be careful because this is drying, so it can further dry the blood. And because it is warming and it's it, you're already generating heat from, from having dry, quote unquote, dry blood. Chen and Chen add that the essential oil may irritate the skin and cause local redness and warmth. In addition, the oil administered orally can cause an increase in appetite and food consumption. So that might be useful in some cases and not in others. So wouldn't be useful for me because I am overweight, uh, but some other people, uh, if you are cachexic or losing weight, uh, weight loss from uh, a disease, then this might be useful to increase your appetite. Overdosage of this herb, and by that we mean 20 to 30 grams. Remember, the, the normal dose of this is from between 3 and 10 grams. So overdosage of this herb at between 20 to 30 grams, so that's, that's probably three, two to three times the maximum dose, uh, according to Chinese medicine, has been shown to have toxic effects, which appear about 30 minutes after ingestion. These include a dry and thirsty feeling in the throat, nausea and vomiting, general weakness, dizziness, tinnitus, and tremors. Tinnitus is ringing in the ears, so tinnitus and tremors. If overdose dosage is repeated, generalized spasms and tremors may occur with long-term overdosage effects such as hepatomegaly, jaundice, and death may occur. So hepatomegaly means enlarged liver. Uh, the uh, hepato means liver, megaly means bigger, large. So enlarged liver is hepatomegaly. Um, jaundice, which of course is a sign of liver problems, and if you continue, death may occur if you continue overdosing. So this is not this is a pretty safe herb. It's just not one you want to overdose on. A large overdose can cause bleeding and miscarriage during pregnancy. So again, another reason to avoid that. Dry frying and charring the herb reduces the tox toxic effects significantly. So if you uh, are worried about these toxic effects, you can dry fry or char the herb. Still more some more concerns. Chen Chen breaks overdoses into acute and chronic. So this is just a different a way to look at these overdoses that we just talked about. Acute overdose uh, overdosage develops within one to four hours after ingestion and can present with a dry mouth and throat, thirst, nausea and vomiting, dizziness and tinnitus, again, that ear ringing, followed by abdominal pain, diarrhea, tremor, generalized spasms and convulsions, and altered consciousness. So very interesting. Um, Chen Chen doesn't give an amount to develop this acute overdosage, uh, while the other one seems a little bit low for an acute overdose. Uh, so uh, it's, you know, it's a good chunk. If not treated properly, it can progress to jaundice and possibly liver damage if you don't treat this overdosage properly. Chronic overdosage 
occurs with large doses over a prolonged period of time and may cause hypersensitivity reactions. So this is a medical uh, way to explain allergic reactions, hypersensitivity reactions. I found an interest in hypersensitivity allergic reaction. Extremity numbness, neuritis, which is inflammation of nerves, can be very painful, inflammation of nerves. Hallucination and muscle spasms and cramps. So uh, muscle spasms and cramps uh, is one of the things that we've talked about in all these overdose situations, and those can be quite disconcerting. Even after recovery, forgetfulness appears to be a lingering effect in some patients. So we do want to avoid overdose situations. There's not many herbs that can cause an overdose, and so we do want to be careful with this, not too much. And this is when ingesting. It's not about the smoke. It's not about moxibustion. It's about ingesting. There was one reported death after ingesting over 100 grams of the herbs. That's uh, over 10 times the maximum dose that we would recommend. So that's a lot of this herb. And, and so death, it was, at least it was a report of one death after having done that. There are various treatments of these overdose situations. Early stage, you can induce emesis within four hours of ingestion, in, ingestion and drinking a cup of milk or six egg whites. So a cup of milk, six egg whites, that sounds like a traditional approach to this. Um, I don't know in, in modern uh, overdose uh, or toxic uh, ingestion if that's a huge approach to this. So I would be a little skeptical of the, the milk or the six egg whites. And the idea is, I think, to make it more alkalinized, or uh, so more less acidic. Um, so I don't know. There you go. If there are seizures and convulsions, 0.6 grams of Miel Huang or Calculus Bovis should be administered. So <clears throat> this is a, an interesting one. Uh, this is an herb, Calculus Bovis or Miel Huang, is uh, pretty much on the on the ban list very difficult to get in the United States, not impossible. You know, a well-stocked herbal uh, store will probably have some of this under the counter. You'd have to convince them to sell it to you probably. Uh, but this is uh, bear uh, gall. And so uh, there's been lots of exposés on how these are farmed. And so it's been banned by a lot of countries at this point because of the farming techniques and of the bears. And all that so this is a little controversial uh, and I, I certainly well first of all I'd never be in a situation where someone could overdose from this uh, and if I were I don't think I, I don't have any of this on hand and I don't even know how to get it so I don't think I'd be administering it but it is one of the approaches to this if there's jaundice so jaundice is yellowing of the skin and especially the whites of the eyes you'll see that there they become yellowish and that's an indication of uh, liver problems it's a, a buildup of, of um, oh man, a yellow tinted chemical which i definitely know in my 50 plus year old mind sometimes forgets these terms uh, so jaundice yellow urine a bitter taste in the mouth and a wiry pulse or hepatitis is present an herbal formula should be administered to treat jaundice and or and or hepatitis so there's lots of these formulas in our in our uh, books and it should be you should kind of see what the patient's perspective you know where the patient is and what they're doing for doing this to be honest with you there's jaundice yellow urine and bitter uh and our hepatitis i i don't know if i feel comfortable treating that directly with with chinese herbs 
as soon as there's jaundice, I think uh, you start you have to start looking at getting the medical doctor involved and uh, figuring that out and making some support for the patient. Uh, but here's the approach is that we could use an herbal formula to help this. Contact dermatitis can be treated with a topical solution of Hujan polygony cuspidate rhizoma and legong tong tryptyrgy wilfordiradix. Now, neither of these herbs are common herbs in, in Chinese medicine. They're not herbs I was particularly familiar with. Um, so if you touch this and you get contact dermatitis from it, so um, contact dermatitis is uh, inflammation of the skin, uh, and, and contact is interesting. With contact dermatitis, you'll see it in the pattern of touching. So if you like scrape across it, you'll see a, a um, line of this dermatitis from wherever it contacted you. So the, the way to approach that is by using Hujan and Legong Tong, Legong Tang. All right, wrapping up that interesting Spurbs herbs, we talked about Aya. We talked about a lot about mock expression, which Aya is the main component. So in general, Aya, as, as we see, has a lot of potential uses internally. Um, it's not an herb that I use frequently in my, in my herbology. Uh, it doesn't mean I haven't used it. It's just not a common herb that I would use. And I don't think I currently have it in my stock of herbs. I have probably a couple hundred herbs that I keep on hand. And I don't think I have Aya uh, as, as uh, part of that. So it's not an herb that I commonly use. Uh, it does have some good use in, in gynecological, but specific cold uh, conditions in gyneco gynecology. And I think here in San Diego, it's a little bit too warm to have a lot of those cold things happen. So it's not a commonly used herb here. But uh, as far as moxibustion is concerned, it is incredibly commonly used. Probably if you take into account all the acupuncturists who don't do Chinese herbs, but will do moxibustion, it's probably one of the most used herbs, uh, at least for that aspect of any of the herbs in our pharmacopoeia. So while I don't use it much internally, I do, um, I don't use it a ton, again, because I have that restriction on my lease, uh, like a lot of people do in our field, um, but I do use it, I have used it, I, I, I do think it's a very important uh, technique, moxibustion, so I have used it a lot of that in the past and, and will use it when I need to. Uh, I always have to figure out workarounds, but I will do that. So it is a very commonly used herb in that situation. So that is our herb, Aya. Aya, both are fork tongued. And so that is a great overview of this important herb. Next episode, we have uh, doing a very interesting episode. It's going to be doing something very different on our next episode we're gonna talk about using and preparing formulas. Remember today we talked about decoctions and essential oils and all those sort of things and tinctures. So we're gonna be talking about how you use and prepare formulas. Specifically, how does one prepare them and why would one prepare them in a particular way as well as the history of making formulas. So we're gonna get into all of that sort of stuff. So how do you prepare them? Why would you choose one way of preparing them over another one? And what's the history behind all that? So that's all in our next episode of Spurbs Herbs. It'll be an interesting one, not about a specific herb, but uh, all this about using formulas in a traditional way and in, in modern days, maybe not so tra traditional way, but used frequently in the modern day approach. So that's all on our next episode, Spurbs Herbs. 
I would like to say thank you very much for listening. You've been a wonderful listener, I'm assuming. <laughs> and uh, thank you for taking the time and getting all the way to this point. If you want to thank us, would you, when you buy from Amazon, please use the banner, age on, a banner ad on our homepage. Our homepage is spurbserbs.com, S-P-E-R-B-S-H-E-R-B-S.com. If you have any questions or concerns or thoughts about today's Spurbserbs episode, you can always get in touch with me at drgreg at spurbserbs.com or at our website, www.spurbserbs.com. Again, thank you very much. Very appreciated. The proceeding was presented by Dr. Greg Sperber. We would like to thank Janelle for all her support and everybody else who contributed to this program. Janelle. Timothy Dobbins. Roger Campbell.